the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Get up this morning and uh, headed outside, and it felt colder this morning than it did yesterday. I could, I didn't understand that. My breath was showing. It just felt really a lot colder. It's 27 right now. Feels like it's about 33 here in Little Rock. Going to get up into the 50s today. That'll make it possible for me to get out and do my walking that I do every day. Uh, this weekend looks pretty cold, though. They're saying Super Bowl Sunday uh, is. Uh, the high is going to be something like 29 degrees. It's going to be under freezing. Unbelievable. All right. I promised you that we would talk to uh, the AG today. Uh, she's going to be on with us, Leslie Rutledge. And Re- uh, Leslie, welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show. How are you? I'm well, Dave. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. As usual, I'm, I'm usually in a good mood. You know, I'm not all unhappy or anything like that you know you've decided to run for governor you made that decision about six seven months ago i think it was why don't you talk a little bit about the vision you have for uh, for arkansas well thanks dave yes uh, back in july i officially jumped into the governor's race because i want to make arkansas first and i want to use my experience over the last six years as the attorney general to do so uh, that a lot of people can talk about uh, magic words, that we want to lower taxes, we protect the Second Amendment, make Arkansas a pro-life state, all of these great things, you know, create more jobs, school choice. Yes, there's not going to be much daylight between the Republican candidates and Arkansas. But I'm the only candidate that has the experience and the proven track record uh, of having done those things. And we want to use that experience combined with my vision to make Arkansas first, make Arkansas first in job and manufacturing jobs. So that way we have kids coming out of school and combining with our school systems. So we have kids coming out of school into skilled labor jobs that'll pay 50, 75, six figures a year. So that way they can take care of their families and their communities. We also want to, you know, continue making Arkansas even more pro-life because of the work of my office at the attorney general's office. Uh, We are now the most pro-life state in the country huge accomplishment and couldn't be done without the incredible team that I have at the attorney general's office, but also school choice, lowering taxes, working with government. Again, people can use magic words, but magic words aren't enough. We have to have people that are proactive and that have a record of accomplishment. And I'm the candidate in this race, regardless of who gets in with that record of accomplishment. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about what you've done as AG, because you have done a fantastic job. I've talked, uh, you know, very, very highly of you over the last uh, six years. You have been on the front lines fighting uh, 
for, uh, you know, the freedoms of Arkansans and uh, Americans, for that matter, uh, for uh, quite some time now. And again, congratulations. I congratulate Rose Mims and others on, on this for bringing uh, Arkansas to being the number one pro-life state in the union. Absolutely, David. I'm glad that you brought up being on the front lines because that's something. When I came into office uh, as the Attorney General in 2015, as the first woman and first Republican ever to be elected to that office, we had then President Barack Obama and Vice President Joe Biden. You remember it was federal overreach on federal overreach on federal overreach. And my office immediately jumped in, uh, pushing back against out of control federal regulations from the Obama-Biden administration, such as the waters of the U.S. rule Mm -hmm. that hurt farmers, ranchers, landowners, critical habitat, uh, expanding the scope of critical habitat and the government reach into what you can do with private land, the so-called clean power plan, the Department of Labor's overtime rules, all of these issues. Arkansas was absolutely on the front lines and successful. We successfully beat back Obama-Biden out-of-control regulations Unfortunately, because we now have President Joe Biden and Vice President Harris, I'm going to have to be doing that same work again. Uh, We worked very closely with the Trump administration uh, in rolling back regulations. But unfortunately, we're going to have to be back again protecting our individual constitutional rights and freedoms. And it's not just regulatory. It's also our religious liberty rights. You know, we were part of cases and leading amicus briefs for the florist in Washington State, the cake maker in Colorado, the t-shirt maker in Kentucky, because I know if they're going to infringe on their religious liberty rights, there you bet they're going to try to infringe on them right here in Arkansas. Yeah, it doesn't just stay on the east or the west coast. It makes its way into the uh, the center of the United States, doesn't it? It does indeed. And they're, you know, the the activists on the other side of the aisle are not going to stop at Arkansas's borders. And they're not going to stop with us just saying, you know, please don't come in or we don't want that here. They're going to work aggressively. And it may be that they're passing laws that have a national impact in California where we have to step in or where we have to defend uh, that pro-life pregnancy center from having to display state-funded abortion. That's exactly what we did in a case in California was uh, be part of a MECAS brief and supporting uh, that pro-life pregnancy center. And again, these are actually about protecting, defending a record of uh, defending our individual constitutional rights and liberties across the country, but particularly protecting our Kansans from that kind of overreach so we can have good, high-paying jobs, we can bring people to our state. I'm tired of hearing, you know, I was uh, in another part of Arkansas. I wasn't in central Arkansas yesterday, and I was in northwest Arkansas, actually, and I was talking to a number of folks, and, you know, some of the people that I had the opportunity to speak with, they, they said, well, you know, we moved here, and then we were like, wow, what an incredible place, but, you know, because they had a, they got a great job at one of our amazing companies, you know, Walmart, Tyson, one of these, you know, J.B. Hunt. I want people to say, how can I get a job in Arkansas? Because we have such incredible resources and that we you know, have great schools and that we support our law enforcement officers. Last Friday, 
I recognize a law enforcement officer from every single county in Arkansas for their incredible work. I do it every year. We can't say thank you enough to our men and women in blue who go out on the front lines of public safety every day for us. You talk a little bit about uh, uh, expanding business here in the state of Arkansas. What are some of your ideas about making that happen? Well, we certainly have to uh, continue lowering the personal income tax after provide incentives for those companies to come, but we also have to ensure that we have uh, low-cost energy that helps residential customers like me and you and all your incredible listeners, Dave, because we all want to pay uh, less, and that's one thing that we work on every single day at the AG's office is ensuring that utility companies are, are not raising rates and making certain that we have fair rates. And so we they want that low cost, but we also have to have a workforce. And that's when I started talking early on uh, with you about uh, kids being able to leave high school and have that skill set so they can go straight into the workforce and get a good to high-paying job immediately out of high school. Uh, we don't need 18, 19, 20-year-olds who are not uh, able to get into the workforce. Uh, we need them to come out and be uh, starting a, a plan to be an HVAC technician or an electrician, a plumber, a nurse. All of these skills are in, we are in need of in the natural state, and so we have to have an educational system to support that. Our guest, the uh, Arkansas Attorney General, Leslie Rutledge, uh, she has thrown her hat into the ring to run for the Republican nomination for the uh, governorship here in uh, in uh, Arkansas, we need to get a break in uh, Lieutenant uh, Lieutenant Governor, Attorney General. Oh, we'll get there. Oh, that's a I apologize. Gig. Hang on, I, now. Apologize. I know. I'm... I apologize, and yeah. uh, we'll come back to you here in just a moment. I need to tell people about something that uh, helps pay for my show. So if you'll just make yourself comfortable, I'll be right back with you. Don't forget right, about uh, don't forget about Dustin Turner. Dustin Turner is out there waiting to help you sell your home now when most people talk about selling their home they talk about you know having open houses and uh, showing your home to prospective buyers but what if you could get around all of that what if you didn't have to do that what what if you could just call dustin up and talk to him and he could give you a competitive cash offer right up on the on on the button and uh, save you all the trouble of selling your home he does that he does that all you have to do is say you'd like to do it and to do that all you have to do is to give him a call his phone number is 501-952-2969 it's 501-952 2969 or you can go online to hometeamsoldit.com that's hometeamsoldit.com you know dustin turner uh, is with the home team brokered by exp realty and he can give you an instant cash offer without the large hidden fees and without all the hassle of showing your home and all of that stuff so get a hold of dustin and uh, you know make it easy Get rid of that home you're trying to get rid of. Make some money and move up to that dream home that you want. That's with uh, Dustin Turner. He'll take good care of you. 
We're back with another half hour with a person who'd like to be able to carry the banner of the Arkansas GOP in the 2022 as the uh, uh, gubernatorial candidate here in the state. Leslie Rutledge is with us. She's, the, of course, the attorney general of the state. She joins us for another about eight minutes here before she gets on with her day. Are you traveling today? You're going to be somewhere else in the state? Well, I'm starting off today in central Arkansas. Then we're going to head to south Arkansas with the legislative session going on, Dave, uh, that we are. And we've got a, a team of attorneys. I've got 180 people on staff, uh, most of which are uh, half, rather, are attorneys. And so we work pretty closely with the legislature during the session to to ensure that issues that they are passing, that they are going to be uh, upheld and challenged in the courts. And so the session is a very busy time for us, and, of course, with um, our phones were able to stay in touch and uh, communicate easily back and forth as long as you have service. And that's one thing that we've got to work on in Arkansas is rural broadband and service across the natural state. Yeah, and that's going to be really expensive. Uh, have you all put any thought to how to go about paying for that? Well, sure. And I think this is uh, needs to be something that you know we look at you know, this can't just fall just on the public shoulders, but, you know, looking at some innovative ways to do a private-public partnership, you know, as uh, some telecoms are adding in uh, more fiber and more lines that they also are, you know, not just saying, yes, I want to be in Little Rock or Fayetteville and the more uh, Fort Smith, the higher population areas, but we need places uh, across Arkansas that uh, have access to rural broadband. And so we need to make sure we're holding their feet to the fire uh, to say, yes, we want you here, but not just in the most populated areas of the state, but we want all of Arkansas. You know, that's going to be really important uh, this week and next week. We'll be talking about school choice quite regularly here on my show and uh, across the state. Your thoughts on school choice. I mean, uh, now's the time after going through COVID-19. We see that we can do this uh, ability to take uh, schooling to the kids at home if necessary. Uh, that gives us one up and getting ready for even more school choice. I know that you're a big supporter of it. What do you want to do? Well, I, you hit the nail on the head, Dave, that this pandemic has really highlighted the a need for school choice and that we yes we can do it that uh that more parents have to have all parents really and guardians need to have a say so in their child's education that education should not be limited based on zip code or family's income uh, my my brother and sister-in-law are prime examples so my niece kylie graduated uh from a public school where where her mom is a teacher and kylie did well her younger brother is on the autism spectrum. He was not flourishing in the public school setting, and so they were able to to homeschool him. But that's you know within your own household, you have different educational needs, and not just because one of them uh, may or may not be on the autism spectrum. You know, it has to be that you address each child's needs and educate each child. That we have too many children being left behind. So I think. Uh, and that goes right into the other topic of rural broadband that we just touched on. But we've got to stop letting, uh, you know, too many of the, the large, you know, 
teachers groups. And I come from a public school teacher. My mama taught elementary special ed for 34 years. We have incredible teachers across the state. But we can't have uh, nationalized educator, uh, educational unions telling us how to educate our kids in Arkansas. We need parents and our awesome teachers working together and administrators working together to figure out the best needs for each child. And that money, you know, that money that's so critical to fund schools, and it's one of our biggest costs. Uh, but if you've got a child with a special in need or, you know, that is not flourishing in that school setting and they need to go to a different school setting, uh, let's have the money. You know, let's look at ways to maybe not all the money or how the money, but that's how we have to look at it is that money needs to go with that child. So that way that parent can say, you know what, my child deserves as many opportunities as your child and so we need to make sure that we're giving them that opportunity. Are are the are the unions starting to to uh, open up a little bit to the to the idea of school choice, or are they circling the wagons? Well, I think you know. I mean, we've been you know again pretty fortunate here in Arkansas that we don't have uh, you know too aggressive of a, a movement. But what we do have are folks you know, and this is uh, you know anywhere, Dave, in any community that. Um, aren't in the looking out for the best interest of the kids. And again, I, you know, I came from a public school teacher. I, my sister-in-law is a public school teacher. I love our public school teachers, but we have to look at these children and say, what, you know, how can we make sure each child is getting the education needs met? Um, so I, you know, I'm not saying that we. You know, we don't have unions here in Arkansas, but um, we certainly have organizations, and uh, we have to be diligent to make sure those organizations are um, working collaboratively with parents, with uh, administrators uh, for the best for the best uh, future of those kids. Yeah. By the way, I talked to Stephen Meeks, State Representative Stephen Meeks, often, sure. and he works hard on that whole broadband in the rural area. Uh, how? You know, how do you go about talking to business people, explaining to them that they got to be part of moving uh, the rural areas of, of Arkansas into the 21st century? Well, in ter- you know, I mean, businesses know it firsthand because they uh, understand that they want to sell their wares, their services. Uh, they want to have talent uh working for them. And so it's really uh, businesses that are the ones uh, who are hurt because when you go to parts of our um, beautiful state and there's limited access, you may be able to recruit someone to come look at a job or for a job, but when their spouse and children come, you know, the children are going to be looking to to be online or the spouse is going to be needing to work remotely. So many people or working remotely and from home, and if you can't offer that, and if your business can't sell its wares, if you're an entrepreneur and you want to uh, do business from home or work remotely, uh, unfortunately, broadband access uh, is still very limited in parts of Arkansas where we need people. I mean, we look at South Arkansas, for example, and East Arkansas, where my husband's a row crop farmer. Uh, Even in uh, North central and northeast where I'm from, uh, there are just pockets of our state that are uh, limited, and the businesses certainly understand it. I don't think it's a hard sell for businesses, but it is going to be, uh, we've got to figure out, uh, and I know there's a number of issues being uh, put forth in the session on this. I know 
the governor and state agencies have looked at how they can use some of the federal funds that we have received from the pandemic to expand broadband. But this is it's got to be part of our economic infrastructure. Well, Attorney General, I thank you for your time. We are run out of time. I'm sure that we'll talk many times yet this year, and I look forward to having those discussions with you. Maybe we can get out and shoot 18 before the year's out. What do you think? Well, that would be amazing. I don't know when I'm going to have time, Dave, but um, maybe you can do 18 and I'll, I'll jump on for a hole or two. But um, <laughs> I, w- I would be remiss if I, I didn't say a, a shout out and a thank you to all of our men and women in uniform and all of our veterans. I, we, we do so much for them and we just can't thank them enough for their service to our great country. So appreciate you having me on, my friend. All we'll right. talk soon. Thank you, Leslie. We'll have a great day now. All right. Leslie Rutledge, the Attorney General, some of her thoughts about what she'd like to do if she's governor of the state of Arkansas. And like I said, you're going to hear from these folks a lot here on my show. I believe this is the most important uh, primary ever, or at least the Republican Party uh, here in the state of Arkansas. Uh, Mark Lowry, state rep, coming up next here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, we continue here on the Dave Ellswick Show on a... uh, what is it? Today's Wednesday. Gosh, it's middle of the weekday already. We are closer to Friday than we were on Monday, and that's always a good thing. Joining us, uh, State Representative Mark Lowry. And uh, Mark, thanks for giving us the time this morning. I especially wanted to talk to you. Uh, I just got done talking with the Attorney General. as She, of course, running for governor in 2022. And uh, questioning her about some of her thoughts about certain areas. One of the things that we talked a lot about was was schooling and school choice, things and things of that nature. I want to get a little bit more specific here. How do we protect our schools from just terrible, terrible uh, uh, curriculum like the sixteen nineteen uh, program and things of that nature? I know that you've been adamantly uh, opposed to that, as I have. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Well, thank you, Dave. Appreciate the opportunity to be on. I, I think uh, the main thing is that uh, conservatives have to start being proactive about running for school boards. Uh, you know, the, there's so much emphasis on having conservatives run for state legislatures or run for attorney general or whatever. And frankly, I think we're missing the boat on what is most important uh, in terms of the the social fabric of America, which are our schools. Uh, There's a lot of school boards out there where candidates are running unopposed. Or uh, in one case, uh, one candidate in Pulaski County School District had actually moved out of their zone and was not able to run for re-election. And because no one else filed, state law allows allowed her to continue to serve. Um, so, you know, I think, uh, we've got to be more proactive in, in that respect. All right. And a lot of people don't even understand 1619 or Howard Zinn or any of that. A lot, a lot of Arkansans, uh, sit back and think that the history that's being taught to their children is the history that they were taught when they were children. And that is far from true. Well, that is absolutely true. And as I've told my colleagues, if they have wondered why in the last 18 to 24 months we've started 
uh, hearing all this talk about erasing the names of Washington and Jefferson for memorials and monuments, uh, schools, San Francisco School District, by six to one vote, uh, is removing the names of Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln from their schools. If they, if you wonder where that came from, where it started, it came with the 1619 Project and its narrative that those people are not the founders, Washington, Jefferson are not the founders of America, that they are part of a, a white oppressor uh, uh, narrative, and that Lincoln uh, himself was a white supremacist. And, yeah. you know, that's just not even factual. That's that's not even factual history. Uh, and, you know, it's almost as bad as the uh, believing that the movie – uh, Lincoln Vampire Hunter uh, is a, because it mentions a historical figure of Lincoln that we should accept it as another view that we ought to talk about in our classrooms. Yeah, that they that they collected silver in Washington D.C. not to raise money for the Union, but to uh, make bullets to kill vampires. Yeah, yeah, I, I haven't watched it. I, I had no idea what it was, <laughs> but. Uh, but we don't need to be teaching fiction as history, and that's what the 1619 Project is. Uh, now, let me let me just say, I believe that we should be teaching about the historical truths of how slavery uh, has placed a stain on American history. It, it is absolutely a fact. It's one that probably has been glossed over in a lot of history textbooks over the years. And so I've been very specific and very clear that I am not talking about banning the teaching of black history. Right. But I'm talking. But what I am talking about is that we should be focusing on um, uh, the the factual history, but also talking about the contributions of African Americans, uh, both in the United States and specifically in Arkansas. That's the message that really should resonate. Uh, that uh, that individuals can overcome uh, any adversity, whether it's generational or whether it is something that is happening to them personally, uh, and and that's what we should be uh, celebrating, and that's what we should we we should be putting before our students. All right, let, let's talk about some other things that are going on uh, over in the house. Stand your ground. How how is that looking over on the house side? It went through the Senate pretty easily. Uh, what about the, what about the house? Well, I was just reading, I was not around. I'm not, I don't serve on the judiciary committee. So I'm just reading the newspaper account. Uh, it looks like it did, uh, was defeated or did not make it out of committee over on the house side late yesterday. Um, the, the sponsors are talking about, there is a, a parliamentary parliamentary procedure, where you can pull a bill from committee. Uh, in the House, though, it takes a two-thirds vote to do that. And I think the uh, the sponsors, the lead sponsors of the bill, feel like that they have the votes to do it. Uh, some would ask, well, you know, why not run the bill again in committee? Uh, if, if it's defeated a second time, then the bill is dead. Now, I, I don't know. I'd have to look closer at the rule of whether you could extract the bill from committee after two fail, failed attempts uh, in committee. 
But, uh, you know, this, this is not a surprise. When we saw uh, committee selection taking place, the, uh, uh, the Democrats in the House, though outnumbered, I think, uh, 22 out of 100 members, if I remember the number exact, uh, they focused their attention on two committees, one being insurance and commerce and the other being judiciary. And uh, we do have a rule that the minority party cannot have uh, any more than nine members out of a 20-member committee. So it was 11 to 9. So there's nine votes right there against staying your ground. Uh, All it then took was uh, a couple of more Republicans, I guess, to either not vote or to vote no, uh, because uh, you you have to have 11 uh, 11 yeses uh, or eyes to get it out of committee. All right, so I'll try to get Ballinger on tomorrow on my show and talk about where we go from here because it just amazes me that this is such a tough bill to get by. I, I know you know, Mark, that uh, this is one of the major tenets of self-defense is that you don't have to try to turn around and run away from somebody. You know, you, right. you can stand where you're at and because you have the right to be where you're at. Yes. And I think that that has been that whole interpretation of, you know, whether the bill goes far enough uh, or not, uh, defining what is uh, what is le- your legal presence. Uh, and I'm not an expert on this. I have not uh, looked deep into all these arguments that have been taking place, but all of them have a collective ability to be able to deny uh, the sponsor the 11 votes that they needed in committee. And so uh, I, I respect uh, Senator Ballinger and, and his uh, thoughts on what is the best uh, path forward. And from what I've read in the paper, what I've heard uh, is that they feel like extracting the bill from committee is the, the best course of action. All right. Well, you know, we'll we'll have to just keep our eyes open and, and see what uh, what happens there. Let's talk about uh, the voter uh, ID bill that's floating around in the House. Uh, your thoughts on that? Well, um, I just presented the bill on the House floor yesterday. What we have done, we passed in the 2017 uh, session my bill on voter ID. That was the first voter ID law that uh, was implemented. Uh, in the 2018 election, there was a constitutional amendment referred to the voters, and they approved voter ID 80% to 20%. Uh, but, of course, we already had an operational voter ID. Unfortunately, along the, along the line, I, I agreed uh, to a provision that would, and it was not necessary to pass the bill. I just felt like... Um, you know, it was something uh, that maybe should be considered, should be part of it. And that was being able to allow a signed sworn statement to substitute for presenting the photo ID, whether it is with an absentee ballot or whether it's voting in person. What we have found this year uh, in the elections or last year in 2020, uh, not just in the states of Georgia and Pennsylvania, all these things that we've heard, Uh, about absentee ballots uh, being uh, accepted wholesale. But we also found out in Pulaski County, there is no uniform standard for verifying signatures. Uh, The Los Angeles Times wrote an article 
uh, interviewing a forensic uh, analyst who actually does that for a living, and he said, you know, it, it takes him, a professional, one to two hours to confirm the validity of a signature, and yet we're asking untrained uh uh, poll workers or untrained campaign election personnel to do it in seconds. And uh, so we have, we're, we're returning voter ID to its purest form, which is that you have to present a photo ID. You cannot substitute the sworn statement. Seventy-five uh, House members agreed with me yesterday. We had to have 67 because we are amending Amendment 51. You have to have a two-thirds vote. Uh, so it is now going to the Senate State Agencies Committee, and I feel very confident that we're, that we're going to pass this bill to uh, basically align voter ID with what the voters wanted. Uh, there was no uh, sig- sworn signature statement in what the voters of Arkansas approved by an 80 percent vote, uh, but because there was no language to repeal the previous action in 17, the sworn statement was allowed to continue. Well, good job. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you getting out there and tightening this up because here's the key. We've seen what happens in elections now when we're not keeping a close eye on them. And I hope that people have learned that uh, states have a lot of rights when it comes to running elections. And uh, we can't have a lot to say about other states, but we sure as can have uh, a lot to say right here in uh, in Arkansas. Right. And we have to do it. it, it presenting the idea, ID is an objective, concrete way of proving identity. Looking at signatures is not. And, uh, you know, the arguments made, well, signatures change over time. Well, your ID doesn't. And so uh, I, I'm glad that we're going to be returning back to the pure uh, design uh, of the voter ID law that we presented in 17 and the voters affirmed in 18. All right. We appreciate you. Hold on. I got to get a break in. Then we'll come back, talk about a few things that are, are floating around there. I just got a text. Marcus Richmond conveniently had a doctor's appointment at two yesterday. It says, uh, this is about the judiciary committee. We are going to try the extraction from committee today at one o'clock. So, that, okay. uh, that that's going to be the move today so we'll see what happens with stand your ground stay with us we're talking to state representative mark lowry a, a very good friend of the show he'll be back with us with more here on the dave ellswick show let me give you some more information you want to get uh, something blingy for uh valentine's day it's the third today t minus 11 <laughs> i'm counting down for you guys on this t minus 11 do not wait until the last moment to make a uh, you know your dinner uh, reservations or to get some flowers. I'm hearing that roses are in short supply this year, as usual, but even more so this year. I'm hearing that uh, you know because restaurants can't seat as many people, there won't be as many reservations. So do that now so that you have a place to go eat and show how much you love that. Uh, lady that sits across from you or ladies that guy that sits across from you and uh, also if you know if you if you bought if you got her a bowling ball for christmas eve i'm just saying you might want to get some bling for her valentine
Valentine's Day. I'm just saying. Or you made the mistake I did one time when I was early in my marriage and I bought my, I bought my wife a vacuum cleaner. That was, <laughs> I laugh about it now, but it wasn't funny when it happened. I'm just telling you. She had said that it was something she needed, and I bought what she needed, but she didn't want what she needed. She wanted what she wanted. You know what I'm saying? All right, so Hillcrest Designer Jewelry can take care of those wants. And uh, maybe you're not the richest person in the world. I know I'm not. Uh, but Eric Coleman over at uh, Hillcrest Designer Jewelry has something that will fit your particular wallet. I'm just telling you, he can he can get in there and find you something that uh, that lovely lady is going to like. Stop by and visit with him at 3000 Cavanaugh Boulevard here in Little Rock, or you can give him a call at 501-246-3655. If she's asking for rose-colored diamonds, I can tell you right now, Eric has them, uh, and then you can talk to him about what he has in settings and things of that nature so that she'll be all happy with it. 501-246-3655. Stop by, see Eric at Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. All right, our guest, State Representative Mark Lowry. Um, Mark, I I just got some more information uh, here uh, saying uh, folks are asking uh, voters to call their representatives and ask them to vote yes to extract the stand your ground bill from committee and so uh we're looking uh, forward to that vote today it's supposed to happen today at, at at some time one of the big issues coming up to the legislative session the general assembly this year has been the uh emergency powers uh act that sits in uh, arkansas right now and there's some changes that are trying to be made to it how is that moving along on the House side? We know what's going on on the Senate side. Haven't talked to too many people on the House side. Where are you all on this about getting the legislature uh, legislature more involved in this? Um, you know, I have not heard a lot of discussion about that on the House side. I know that there is a, a House sponsor with, uh, with I believe, Rep- Senator Hammer. That's that Gazaway. Gasway, that's right. And uh, what I have heard is that uh, Representative Gasway's contribution to all that has just has been just great uh, expert opinion on on writing. uh, You know, with from a legal standpoint, he's a lawyer. uh, That that there is this uh, this need for the legislature to have oversight, uh, to have uh, certainly more oversight. The governor has certain powers, obviously, within the uh, the executive branch, but there still has to be uh, a, a look-see, so to speak, by the legislature, especially when you're talking about extending and extending and extending these emergency declarations. So uh, that you know that will be one of the next uh, big issues coming down the pike uh, for us to look at. Now that you know, it's just something that needs to be done. Do you think it's a little easier this time around since the governor is uh, is a lame duck? He's got two years left. Well, I don't know that it's so much uh, centered around that as the fact that uh, Arkansans have just been – and Arkansas has done a much better job than other states in oh, terms yeah. of not, not shutting down 
our economy. I, I mean, I think it's just a, a great testament uh, to uh, uh, the resolve of Arkansans that uh, that we've been able to survive this in, in such a great way. But the, the point is that there there is a bad pandemic, and there are still there are still deaths happening. There's still this need for us to uh, to protect one another. Uh, but that doesn't mean a perpetual shutdown of our economy. And I think that that's the main element that is uh, energizing a lot of people. Uh, you know, small businesses are suffering. There, there are a number, a number of businesses that will never reopen. And that is unfortunate. And it's something that uh, probably could have been prevented uh, if the legislature had had more say-so uh, in that process. And hopefully... You know, this is uh, maybe something that would never come up again, but I think that this is the uh, this is the time to be able to be able to look back at what's happened in 2020 and to be able to say, listen, there, there, the 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 three the three branches of government are equal in their power. They're, that that is just the way it's crafted. That there's not going to be one that has more power uh, than the other, and so. This push for the legislature to be more involved is really a, a balancing of, of that whole uh, equal powers, equal but separate powers that's going on. Now, State Representative Mark Lowry, I could keep you here for another half hour, but we can't do that. I've got uh, Congressman Hill and Congressman Westerman coming up in the next hour. I'll let you go. I appreciate you taking uh, the time to talk to us. How's that foot doing? Well, I've got a couple of broken toes and another issue with my foot that we're probably going to have to look at surgery on. But uh, thank you for asking. All right. Well, you get well. We'll be touching base with you again here in the next few weeks. And uh, thanks again for giving us the time today here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Bye-bye now. Thank you, Dave. All right. Mark Lowry here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We'll have him back on in the near future. Coming up in the next hour, Congressman French Hill will talk with us right after the news. And then I just was uh, got a, a, a text uh, from uh, Congressman Westerman. He'll be joining us at 735. All that's on its way here on the Dave Ellswick Show. To the uh, seven o'clock hour here on a Wednesday, and every Wednesday in the seven o'clock hour, we find out what's going on in Washington D.C. 
because we're joined by two of our congressmen from here in Arkansas. In this half hour, Congressman French Hill will join us from District 2. In the next half hour, Congressman Bruce Westerman from District 4. So let's get ready for Congressman uh, Hill. And, uh, Congressman, thanks for giving us the time, as you always do. How much snow did you all get? You know, it looks like, Dave, there was about uh, four inches. It didn't stick to the streets, but it's uh, pretty on the grass. And, uh, of course, nothing's prettier than Washington's Mall with snow on it. Uh, But it uh, came over the weekend and is now in retreat. Well, that's good. You didn't get to 30 inches like they got up there in, in New York State then. Absolutely not. Too cold. Too, too. Uh, I guess the ground was too warm for that. Here. Okay. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that because I'll tell you what, no matter how much a city is ready for snow on a snowstorm like that, it's still a pain. It just brings everything to a halt. Uh, l- let's get started with our uh, our talk today and, and talk to you about your press conference uh, that you had where you called off, called out the president on this whole Keystone Pipeline. People are starting to realize now that these executive orders that are being signed by the president uh, that are, you know, basically putting a bullseye on the oil and gas industry is going to is really going to cost hundreds of thousands, if not millions of jobs. And Keystone, I think right off the bat, is like 11,000 jobs. Is, am, not, am I right or am I, am I short on that? That's right. When you include the construction and all the suppliers to Keystone, Keystone's also the most technologically advanced, environmentally secure and safe pipeline being built in the country. Over 100 miles have already been built. And it's the first pipeline in the U.S. and Canada to operate at carbon net zero, meaning all the power to run the pipeline is going to be generated up in the upper Midwest, uh, primarily by wind. So it's a project that we need. Canada needs it. And I'm, of course, disappointed. I think Joe Biden's wrong to do this. This project started in 2008, trying to be approved 12 years later. And it's just the death of common sense. Uh, this is not going to stop oil from being drilled in Alberta, Canada. You know, all that oil is produced and it's sold to the United States. Some of it goes to the West Coast and it's going by train. Yeah. So you're you have a safety problem and a huge carbon emission problem as those diesel diesel engines bring a hundred car train load of oil headed to Houston. Yeah, you just and look, they're going to sell the oil if they don't sell it to yeah. us, they'll sell it to somebody else. Most likely China, which is uh, not in our interest. So this hurts American jobs. It hurts Canadian jobs. It hurts American and Canadian uh, energy independence. It hurts the environment. Uh, it hurts workers right here at home at Little Rock, at Wellspun, where uh, transmission pipe is manufactured. The stevedores who unload those coils of steel and the, load the pipe back up. Um, and you have to add to this executive order the fact that he's not going to do any more leasing on federal lands. <clears throat> and so you're putting, as you say, a bullseye on the energy industry, which is what powers this country, 93% of our fuel uh, for our cars and trucks is made from petroleum, our plastics that go in to everything that we use. And, of course, 60, over 60% of our power is generated from hydrocarbons. So this is uh, 
this has nothing to do with the environment, in my opinion. This has everything to do with uh, power. Well, and, you know, this has been going on for a long, long time. You talked about uh, started in 2008 on the Keystone Pipeline. This is a perfect example of how the environmental groups keep throwing wrenches into things to keep things from happening. I mean, that's why we haven't built new uh, businesses to clean uh, the oil that we have and make it into gas. We just, you know, it, it takes too long. The all of the all of the uh, the the, the, the uh, paperwork that's necessary uh, costs millions upon millions of dollars. And it makes America uncompetitive. And when what's it's this this movement is, as I say, the <laughs> quoting uh, Phil Howard, it's the death of common sense because we're not investing in nuclear. The most carbon-free baseload power in the world is nuclear energy. And fortunately, the Trump administration extended the life of our electrical generating nuclear reactors in the country to 80 years. This was a major major assistance to the 20% or so of our power we get from nuclear energy in the U.S., and yet the environmentalists don't want nuclear power, which is carbon-free. Uh, and I, I have to remind everybody that, you know, while we want an all-of-the-above strategy, we want renewables where they work and where they fit. We want research and battery lives. We don't put want to put U.S. families at a disadvantage, U.S businesses at a disadvantage yeah i mean this this is just really crazy it's been going on for a long time the earth was supposed to be underwater by now according to these people and it hasn't happened uh there's a lot of question marks about uh you know climate change and how quickly it's advancing and whether man is the main provocateur of making it happen i mean you can't just stop things uh, in their tracks and expect life to go on a, a, as normal. I mean, I, I'll be talking to, to Bruce here in just a moment, and the the people who are on the environmental side, even with not building any new dams, he says that uh, elect, uh, you know, hydroelectric power could be increased, you know, many, many fold here in this country, but they keep putting wrenches into that as well. I'm, I'm assuming they want us all to go back to horses and wagons. That is uh, that is the direction of the Biden administration is backwards, not forwards. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, let's move on uh, today. Budget re- reconciliation. Uh, they're going to try to do an in a run around the Republicans uh, there in the Senate and in the House. Do they have do they have the votes to do it? I think it's very likely that they do. This was the horrible uh, ramifications of losing those two Senate races in Georgia is that we have a 50-50 tie with the Democrat vice president able to break that tie. And that opens up budget reconciliation. And just for listeners, budget reconciliation allows the House to pass a budget resolution on a partisan vote with just Democratic priorities and then pass that in the Senate. And if they follow those budget reconciliation rules, uh, they can essentially enact any kind of spending policies they want. And they want to spend $1.9 trillion 
uh, on top of the four trillion dollars we've appropriated in the last uh, nine months. I mean, it's it's just mind numbing to me. And they want a fifteen dollar minimum wage, and they want to pursue the Green New Deal policies, all contained in that partisan uh, budget reconciliation process. Yeah, this is not just about COVID nineteen. There's a whole lot of other. Uh, material that's in that bill that is not COVID-19 related at all. AOC has got to be jumping with joy. Well, there are a lot of strict rules around reconciliation about what they can actually use it for, but they are able to, if they are successful, they can use it once this year in 2021 and also in 2022. Your next guest, my friend Bruce Westerman, Uh, As a former budget committee uh, member, and he can take you through chapter and verse, but I can assure you it won't contain conservative priorities, and I can assure you it won't be targeted or thoughtfully done. Well, there's already been some buyer's remorse on Biden. Uh, A lot of people uh, on Twitter and in the Twitter sphere and uh, how many people that is, I can't tell you. I know it's an echo chamber, but it does have some some uh, impact on in people in Washington D.C. But uh, they're you know not happy during the Georgia uh, vote earlier this year. They were running all kinds of ads saying if you want a two thousand dollar check, vote for X, Y, or Z. And now people are finding out. They're, they might get $1,400, they're not going to get $2,000, and they're having heart attacks over it. Well, look, the uh, there's uh, Joe Biden's under criticism mostly from the right, but yes, he's got criticism from the left, even the New York Times. Uh, it's very rare that I agree with the New York Times editorial page, <clears throat> but I published a uh, op-ed in the Conway Log Cabin Democrat on Friday about my opposition to relying on executive orders, for example. Biden's issued 40, the most uh, in, ever in a short period of time by a president. And it's not a way to run the government. And the New York Times uh, had an editorial page story last week, exactly the same thing. So uh, Biden is a we got Biden as the president, but we got Bernie Sanders as the policy director for this administration. Yeah, it's crazy. 17 after 7, talking with Congressman French Hill. We'll come back and finish up our conversation. First, I need to tell you that David Lucas Financial wants to give you all kinds of information about retirement. He's got a brochure you need to get a copy of. It's called the Ultimate Retirement Planning Checklist. And what it does is goes through things that I'm sure hasn't crossed your mind about what you should be doing to prepare yourself uh, for retirement. And you're hearing about all this spending that the congressman and I are talking about right now. Sooner or later, you know, the chickens are going to come home to roost, is the old saying down south. And, and they are. And we're going to have to pay this money back. And to do that, they're going to have to raise taxes. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It will have to happen. Tax rates right now are at a 40-year low. You're putting money away in your 401k, and you're not paying taxes on it. You're going to pay taxes on it when you draw it out of your uh, 401k. Well, just consider this. I, I drew some money out of mine because I'm not happy with what's going on in the in at Wall Street. I put the money somewhere else. I had to pay the state and the federal tax on it because it wasn't paid at the time that it went in. 
I had to pay a quarter on every dollar. Think about that for a moment. It's 25 cents on every dollar is what it what it comes down to. And that's at taxes being at their lowest they've been in 40 years. When they start going up, the government's going to take more of your money. So you're going to have to even save more money to be ready for your retirement. It's things like that that David Lucas will talk to you about when it comes to retirement. You can get this brochure by calling 501-222-3315. 501-222-3315. Think about that. You know, you got a 401k. It's not just your account. It's a joint account. You share it with the federal and the state government. About 20% of it right now belongs to the feds. About 5% belongs to the state. Keep that in mind and make the necessary changes you need to make. You can do it with uh, David Lucas Financial, an investment advisory service offered through David Lucas Financial, an Arkansas registered investment advisor, davidlucasfinancial.com. Talking with Congressman uh, French Hill here on the Dave Ellswick Show and Congressman, uh, if you would, just for a moment, let me give you a little bit of time to talk about the difference in Biden's stimulus uh, ideas and Republican stimulus ideas. Sure, this is really important, and I think this has just not gotten the kind of detailed coverage that we want to talk about. So we, we spend about $4.5 trillion to run the federal government every year. It's a lot of money. That's Medicare. Medicaid, the national parks, all of national defense, all the annuity programs, everything, about four and a half trillion. Between March and December, we added to that, repeat, on top of that, we added $4 trillion of extra spending to fight the pandemic, get Operation Warp Speed, get the vaccines, get the testing, uh, get money to schools, buy PPE. Uh, make ventilators. You know what the list was, yeah. $4 trillion between March and December, including basically a trillion right on December 27th that President Trump signed into law, the $900 billion COVID relief package. So that money isn't even spent yet. There's over a trillion dollars that has not been spent by governor or spent by the federal government in support of what Congress has already done And what Joe Biden is proposing is that he jams through Congress on a partisan vote in February and March, $1.9 trillion of more spending on top of that $4 trillion that we've dedicated to reopening the economy and fighting the pandemic. Right at the time when what's happening, the vaccine is rolling out. We're getting closer and closer every month to essentially being able to reopen our economy and have cases decline. And so what Republicans want to do is just reflect on what we've done and be prepared to do more in April or May or late March if we need to on a consensus, more targeted basis. Uh, But that is we don't control the House and Senate and we don't control the presidency. So we're confronted with the reality that we don't have the votes for that. So we're trying to persuade some of our Democratic colleagues, particularly in the Senate, to take that more targeted approach. Yeah, and and this is the the subject that I talk to with other people uh, personally, and talk with people on the air. You know, some people got their your panties in a wad about uh, some Republicans didn't do enough 
for the president in their mind. Well, let me just say this. They were doing a whole lot for you, you know, holding, trying to hold back this spending. Uh, because when this new spending comes on, it's got to be paid back. Taxes have got to go up. When that happens, that means the money that could be used by businesses are going, it's going to be sucked out of them, taken to Washington, D.C., uh, and wasted as far as I'm concerned. When you, and, and business is going to slow and people are going to be out of jobs again. Yeah. And what, look, you and I have been involved in following politics and following our, our national government for decades. If I thought, <laughs> if I thought for a second that next year someone was going to raise taxes and that every damn dollar of that went to repay the debt spent in 2020 and 2021 to fight this virus, it'd be an interesting debate, wouldn't it? It would but be. The problem is, what, the problem is that's not how it works. That money's just going to get spent. And the Congress has, on both sides of the aisle, the Congress has no successful track record in paying down debt and ending uh, the budget, annual budget deficit. So that's why the only thing we can do is fight to restrain the spending if we don't believe we need to be spending it. And that's where I stand. I stand that we have done a lot. We have a lot in the pipeline, over a trillion dollars that not spent. Let's see how that impacts the economy before we agree to spend another $1.9 trillion. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on this, Congressman. Really am with you on this. Uh, National Apprenticeship Act. Uh, give us some information on that. This um, week, uh, the Democrats are bringing to the House floor the National Apprenticeship Act, which sounds great, and it's a long-standing uh, support of apprenticeships across the country through the Department of Labor in each state. <laughs> they work with business and designate apprenticeship programs. And, of course, we need more skilled workforce. We're short of skilled workforce. But this bill limits those apprenticeships to union jobs. So I have an amendment. It was ruled in order that using apprenticeship dollars from the Department of Labor, anyone can have access to them, not just a union program. And I'm going to fight for that on the House floor this Friday. I did this once last year, uh, uh, last Congress, and I lost. But I'm going to try to win it this year um, and make the argument that why are we supporting only apprenticeships connected to a union? Why are we doing that when we have companies all over the nation that are <laughs> doing apprenticeships and they're short workers? Mm-hmm. And just, just quickly, you know, the federal apprenticeship programs in construction, so things like anything that relates to a construction trade might produce um, uh, a few thousand jobs a year. But the shortage in needed for skilled, licensed, apprenticed construction jobs is in the six, seven hundred thousand jobs per year. Well, we're not going to meet those through this kind of program. We're going to meet those in the private sector. So I'm a big believer that we shouldn't limit labor our labor policies to just supporting unions we need to support everyone who's working everybody who's trying to get a better uh pursuit of happiness in their career and their skills all right well we'll try to get a copy of uh your speech on the floor play it here on the air so people can hear it we appreciate your time have a great rest of your week have a great rest of the week Dave. talk to you Thanks. next week bye-bye now all right uh the uh, congressman uh Struggling with a little bit of congestion today, it sounded like.
And uh, uh, coming up after the uh, rush here in just a moment, we'll have Congressman Bruce Westerman, and we'll have him walk you through a little bit about what's going on uh, uh, budgetarily uh, over in the House. He said on that committee, he can talk about that. And uh, we can talk with him as well about the stimulus bill and the Reconciliation Act that's being used. It's a legitimate way of, of, of getting a piece of legislation passed. The Republicans have used it in the past. But we're going to talk about it when we get back on the Dave Ellswick Show. You know, those uh, certificates that we have for uh, St. Clarity residential cleaning, uh, we don't have a whole lot more left. Uh, we start off with, uh, well, about 30 of them. We're down to nine left. If you want to buy them, now's the time to get them. If you're thinking you're going to wait another week, I don't think there are going to be going to be a lot of them left, and you'll be taking a chance uh, if you want them. And and here's what here's what St. Clarity Residential Cleaning does. Uh, they do a deep clean on your house, and I do mean deep clean. Uh, they'll go and clean all of the marks off the walls and all of that. They're going to, it's more than just mopping and dusting. It's a deep clean for your home. It, it's going to last you a month, month and a half. And the, uh, uh, products they use does kill the COVID-19 virus. Uh, now the virus can come back after time, but, uh, they can make your house pretty doggone safe with uh, the cleaning that they, that they do. Uh, also, if you've got a member of your household that's suffering from depression, uh, you know, maybe a postpartum depression even, uh, and, uh, you know, they're having a hard time getting back to their normal life, uh, the folks at St. Clarity Residential Cleaning knows how to work with folks like that so that they don't upset what they set up to do each day, uh, areas perhaps that they don't want anybody to go into right now uh, all of that is a, an, an integral and a special part of st clarity residential cleaning as well but when it comes to cleaning they do it christian and her group will come in and sit down and go over everything that you want done now if your house is uh 1500 square foot or less it's 200 bucks except that you get save 50 percent by buying your certificate right through us here at 101.1 FM, The Answer. Uh, then if you've got a house that's 1,550 uh, square foot up to 2,500 square feet, usually 300 bucks you get for 150 with us. Uh, so call this number, 404-6560. 404-6560. I've talked to people that have used st clarity residential cleaning and they love them they love the the cleaning they do they love the way they do the cleaning and they love the way that they're treated by the people who work for st clarity residential cleaning again call today and get your certificate 404-6560 talk to chuck right after nine o'clock this morning All right, we've got uh, Congressman uh, 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 (laughs) – I just went totally blank. Westerman on with us. Bruce Westerman. I'm sorry, Bruce. My my bad, brother. That was a – you just heard me go through a senior moment, brother. 
Hey, no problem, Don. That's fine. <laughs> it's good to have you uh, on with us. I just good. got. Hey, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, great to be with you, Dave. It's always good to, <laughs> to be on your show. Yeah, it's fun. Yes. Hey, it's live radio. Things happen. What can I say? Quick uh, question for yeah. you. Let's. I two main subjects I wanted to go over with you today. One, the budget uh, there in Washington, D.C. I know you were on the budget committee, and uh, we were just talking about you on uh, Congressman Hill's uh, half hour, and uh, I'm going to have you walk us through a couple of things. And then secondly, uh, Biden, you know, he's going to kind of try to push through, and the Democrats are going to push through this uh, $1.8, $1.9 trillion bill through reconciliation uh, let's talk a little bit, first of all, what's the big difference of what the Democrats are wanting to do and what you as Republicans are wanting to do? Well, me me personally, as a Republican, I don't think we need to do another aid package right now. And I think the Democrats are using the pandemic as a smokescreen to put a lot of other stuff into a bill and get it passed. I mean, we've got a, over a trillion dollars of funding that the federal government has approved that's sitting there right now uh, waiting to be spent, like $280 billion in the Paycheck Protection Program. Um, there's another $239 billion that's out there to help with health care spending and getting the, the vaccines out. And, you, I mean, there's even $58 billion for state and local and, and $59 billion for education to get schools started back up. I think we should be focusing on um, getting those funds out there, getting our schools open, getting our businesses open, and getting our economy back up and running. And there's some states that are doing that. Um, I may have talked to you briefly about my friend Christy Nome in South Dakota, the governor yep. up there. Who, she's never really shut the state down, and she, their unemployment's around 3%. Um, the number of deaths from COVID is not statistically any different from any other state and uh, they're moving right along so i think that could be an example to the rest of the country especially when you've got a a trillion dollars sitting there with the debt that we've racked up because of this pandemic uh you know another 1.9 trillion that's not necessarily pandemic related uh which i'm hearing is going to have um the minimum wage stuck in it but i think we're talking about budget reconciliation there could be a problem with something called the bird rule when it gets in the Senate. And, you know, having served on the budget committee for a couple of Congresses, uh, it's really depressing when you see how much money is being spent and where it's being spent. Uh, and this reconciliation tool is simply a way to get around the filibuster in the, the Senate. It's been used by Republicans and Democrats alike. Uh, but it, it, technically limits some of the things you can do, like the uh, the American Health Care Act. Uh, it was done at the first of President Trump's term. It failed in the Senate with that vote by John McCain. That was done on budget reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And it really wasn't. The bill had some shortcomings. It had as, as much in it as you could do through reconciliation, but really to do health care, that needs to go through uh, the filibuster in the Senate. And then the tax relief bill was done uh, through reconciliation. Uh, but you know, this is a different animal. You know, the, the way it works is the budget committee 
creates a, a framework and they give instructions to the other committees in the House on uh, on how to on what the, the the floor for spending and the or the floor for revenue and the the cap for spending is. And the bill's supposed to go to all the different committees with jurisdiction. And I believe this um, this particular budget reconciliation or budget resolution they proposed is supposed to go through 12 committees. And one of those is the Natural Resources Committee, which I'm the, the ranking member on. But, you know, our committee hasn't even organized yet. So the, and that's true with other committees. Uh, and, you know, this doesn't just happen by by chance it's designed that way i mean here we are in february and we don't even have the we haven't had the first committee meeting to adapt the rules and and get organized so what the majority committee staff is telling me and my staff is well we can't have a hearing because we're not organized so everything that should come through our committee for debate uh, won't get debated uh, and when the bill goes to the floor, it'll go through the rules committee, which Speaker Pelosi controls that, and they'll limit the debate and won't let, allow there to be any amendments. So, you know, they're basically writing this bill in the Speaker's office, and they're going to dump it on the floor and uh, try to pass it out of the House as, as soon as possible. But I think there there possibly some things in there that, that some Democrats could have a, a problem with, but the problem is we don't know what's in it, all that – uh, like my committee, the only thing we know is the budget levels, and we don't have any information on what they're going to do. We think uh, one thing they'll do is um, stop energy production on uh, federal lands in, in Anwar in particular. Uh, we think they'll be doing things like that through this budget reconciliation bill, but that's just a guess because they've given us no information on what's actually going to be in the bill. Yeah, how many how many pages do you do you think will be in this bill? Do you have any idea? I ha- I have no idea. Of course the resolution is going to be small because it's just going to be uh uh it's going to outline that framework and then when the reconciliation bill comes along, uh especially if it was going to go through 12 different committees, um you know, it could be thousands and thousands of pages. And you, but there's there's no way to know that until they write the bill. Yeah, and then you guys are supposed to read that and dissect it and vote on it in like two days or something, right? Well, I can already tell you just what I know about it, the uh, the premise of how they're doing it, the fact they're wanting to spend another $1.9 trillion, the fact they're probably going to have a $15 minimum wage in it, and it's really a, a wish list of leftist priorities that's going to be in this bill. Uh, I'm not going to have to read the whole thing to vote against it. Yeah, I can I can only imagine. It's a quarter to eight. Uh, Congressman Bruce Westerman is with us. We got him until eight o'clock. Let's get our break in. We got to do that here on the Dave Ellswick Show. I need to remind you about PI Roofing. They're ready to take care of your roof for you. You know, you could be standing on the ground outside your house looking up at your roof and it looks perfect. But there's things going on that make it not so perfect. For instance, you walk across it and you hit some wood and it feels really spongy. That means that the wood is failing and you need to have that fixed. And to get that fixed, it means you got to remove the shingles and the and the and the felt and the wood. And then you got to look at those uh, trusses up there on top of your house and make sure they're in good shape. 
and and, and they'll do that for you because they're the professionals that can do that. But you must have them come out and look at your roof and make sure it's in good shape. Now, they're going to follow all the COVID-19 rules and protocols so that your family's safe and and their workers are safe. But you want to have your roof be 100%. And to do that, you need to call them and have them come on out. Call PI Roofing. It's the only roofing company I use. You call them, and they'll take good care of you. Uh, 707 707-3551. 707-3551. Let me just give you a little aside here. Usually, if someone has their roof done in a, in a suburb or whatever by PI Roofing, people stop by and visit or whatever and talk about what they're doing. And that house is being fixed. And before it's over, another five or six houses get their roofs fixed. That's how good... PI Roofing is. Call them again, 707-3551 or go online, piroofing.com. Our special guest uh, for about nine more minutes is uh, Congressman, uh, uh, good grief, Bruce Westerman. I got it. I'm, I'm, I'm reading other stuff here, Bruce, and then I get... I get that, that usually... That usually happens to me later at night when I start. <laughs> Names are the first thing I forget. Yeah, that's what happens. It's really bizarre to me. But anyway, I wanted to ask you a question. You sit on the budget committee, and all of these, you know, Everett Dirksen, famous uh, senator from Illinois, great quote that he had, a million dollars here, a few million dollars there. Now you're starting to talk about real money. Now it's a billion dollars here and a few billion dollars elsewhere, and now you're talking about real money because we're in the trillions. Uh, when you sit there and you see all this money coming before that committee and billions and billions of dollars, do you get overwhelmed kind of with that? Yeah, and to put that in a frame of reference, Dave, having served in the Arkansas legislature. Yes. Um, the, the state budget in Arkansas is, you know, now it's between 5 and $6 billion. Right. That's all of the self-tax, income tax, and some other fees and things that are collected that's that's all of it for the whole state. Mm-hmm. And when you see a, a five billion dollar line item in a, a bill in Congress, it's you you hardly blink an eye at it. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars per line item, and it's hard to even fathom how much a trillion dollars is and how far in in debt we are. You know, we've exceeded the um, our debt exceeds the the GDP. So that's always been a one of those markers that economists have felt like is a bad place to be. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, my position has always been we've got to be, um, you know, to borrow an agricultural expression, you put up the hay while the sun's shining. You, you save money and you're frugal with your budget. Uh, when times are good, and then when times are bad, like a pandemic, you've got some reserves to rely on. But that is not the mindset of of Congress. It's um, it's so out of touch with reality on the idea that this money is just being borrowed from from future generations. And there's actually people now saying that well, you don't ever have to pay it back. You just as long as you can keep uh, interest rates low and inflation low then it doesn't matter how much made up money you spend. Wow. But that's not, 
maybe there may be people a lot smarter than me that have that figured out, but I've never studied anything in, in economics until this modern monetary policy that says that that will work. Um, and I believe someday there's going to be a reckoning and there's going to be a reset for, um, you know, all this debt that we have out there. Um, you know, that sounds they, like they do that, that sounds, in Japan. Yeah, it sounds like Keynesian economics on asset, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, um, or worse. <laughs> I mean, you literally, where, where they're doing this kind of stuff in other parts of the world, you have negative interest rates. So if you put your money in the bank, you're paying the bank to hold your money. Mm-hmm. So that's what the balancing game is, is they say you can control inflation with interest rates. Um, but... I think, it, in, especially when you start doing things like cranking up the minimum wage, uh, that's going to put pressure on inflation. You're going to see prices of things go up if you're having to pay more uh, to to make those things. Yeah, it's got to go up. So, yeah, I guess yeah. if you just if you're going to be cynical about it, just say at the end of the day, we hope our our army is bigger than their army mm-hmm. uh, because you've. Uh, there's got to be a day of reckoning on this. You can just keep getting something for nothing and think everything's okay. Well, I'm going to tell you what. When Congressman Hill was on, he said something that uh, should have sent ice through everybody's veins. He said it takes about $4.5 trillion to run the federal government a year. Last year, because of the pandemic, you all spent an additional $4.5 trillion over that and now they're talking about another $1.9 trillion to add on top of that. You know, the straw in the camel's back is going to break, Congressman. It's got to. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and when you get into a situation like the pandemic, um, I mean, what do you, do you say? Do you say just let everything crash or do you try to spend money to to make vaccines, to save people's lives. To me, it's, it's like the issue with war. If you're in war, you spend what it takes to win the war, and That's then right. when it's over, you you figure out how to pay that back. Um, I think the, the war against the pandemic is on the, the downhill side. We're seeing fewer cases. we got vaccines out there now, and we quit. We need to quit using that as an excuse to pour money into special, special interest accounts. Um, you know, to 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 fill up someone's wish list. And that's exactly what this relief bill is about. You know, the last relief bill was passed at the end of December. I know. That was the president signed that. Was $900 billion or something like that? Yeah, it was. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of controversy on that one not being uh, enough. But, um you know, maybe we should just do a bill to make everybody a millionaire, and, and that would solve all of life's problems. <laughs> yeah. The only problem is if you make everybody a millionaire, it don't mean to be a millionaire. It don't mean nothing. You know yeah. what I'm saying? You know you know how that all works. Congressman, it's always a pleasure yeah, to talk to, to you. Go ahead. Go ahead and finish you, up. You too, Dave. I can't remember which country it is in Africa, but I've got an actual piece of currency there. It's a billion-dollar bill, and it's not worth the uh, the piece of paper that it's printed on. Wow, you should frame that, hang it up in your office. Say, look at that, in Africa, I'm a billionaire. (laughs) Don't mean squat, though. Multi-billionaire. All right. I appreciate you, Congressman. Thanks a lot. It's Congressman Bruce Westerman. I do know this man. I really do. 
He's been a good friend of mine for many, many years. Thanks a lot, Bruce. You have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. You too, Dave. Take All care. Right. Bye-bye now. Yeah, Congressman Bruce Westerman here on the Dave Elswick Show. Oh, that's so embarrassing. It, it really is. I am going to be 68 on the 15th. I I will plead that. All right. I, <laughs> I'll tell you, just it just I went blank on it. What can I say? That happens sometimes. It does. Hey, tomorrow, Jr. and Seth will be on with us in the first hour. We will uh, discuss uh, a lot of the things that we have already discussed this week. Uh, probably uh, there might be, have been a vote on that reconciliation act and we can talk about that and uh, discuss that we'll talk about stand your ground and a lot of other local bills as well let me remind you again to call your state representative in the house today take the time before one o'clock make a call leave a voice uh, mail or whatever uh, saying to vote yes to bring out the uh, bill out of the uh, House Judiciary Committee on Stand Your Ground so it can be voted on on the floor of the House uh, over the next day or so. Yeah, we got to get this passed, folks. We really do. we got to get it taken care of. Then Joe and Duck on tomorrow. They'll take your car questions during the 7 o'clock hour. That number, again, is 823-0965. Or you can just send me a, a email at dave at salemlr.com, and I'll read it to them on the air and get them to answer it. That's going to wrap it up for today. I thank you for being part of the show today. Been a great show today. My thanks to the uh, Attorney General Leslie Rutledge for joining us, State Representative Mark Lowry, and both of our congressional members, uh, French Hill and Bruce Westerman, for giving us the time today here on the show. I'll see you tomorrow, 6 a.m., right here, 101.1 FM, The Answer.